0: Welcome to the Thought Leaders But Lo-Fi podcast. This is Dean Pala, and this week, we are going to be enjoying music by Fathomless, an incredible lo-fi producer based out of the UK. We're also gonna sit down and chat with him. It's a really interesting conversation. I, I really enjoyed getting to talk shop with him. This week's speech is a commencement speech given by Elon Musk, and this was back in 2012 when Elon gave this speech at the California Institute of Technology. One thing I really like about this speech is it opens your mind to thinking about things on a much bigger scale. It's very apparent that Elon is thinking about problems that are on a much larger scale than what we might face on our day-to-day. Of course, we have to think about our day-to-day problems as well and solve those problems. But we also need to think about bigger picture sometimes when he starts talking about humanity becoming a multi-planetary species it reframes your perspective of time and and humanity so i hope you enjoy this speech and interview with fathomless this is elon musk giving the commencement speech at the california institute of technology but it's lo-fi
1: I'd like to thank you for leaving crazy person out of the description. Uh, so I, I thought, I try trying to think, what, what is the most useful thing that I could, what could I say that, that could actually be helpful or useful to you in the future? Um, and uh, I thought I'd perhaps uh, tell the story of um, how, I, how I sort of came to be here, how did some of these things happen, and, and maybe there's some lessons there, because um, I, I often find myself wondering how did this happen. Um, so, w- 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 when I was young, I, I, uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do uh, when, I, when I got older. Uh, people kept asking me, and, and, um, but, but then eventually I thought that the idea of inventing things would be, would be really cool. And uh, the, the reason I thought that was because um, I, I, I read a quote from Arthur C. Clarke, which said that a, um, a sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And, and that's really true. Uh, if you th- if you go back, say 300 years, the things that we take for granted today uh, would be you'd, you'd be burned at the stake for, um, you know, being able to fly. Um, that's crazy. Uh, being able to see over long distances. Being able to communicate. Having um, effectively, uh, with the internet, uh, a, a, a group mind of sorts, um, and having access to all the world's information uh, instantly from almost anywhere on the earth. Um, this, is, this is stuff that, that really would be magic, would be considered magic um, in, in times past. In fact, I think it actually goes beyond that, because there are many things that we take for granted today that weren't even imagined in, in times past. They weren't even in the realm of magic. So it, it actually goes, goes beyond that. So I thought, well, you know, if, if, if I can do some of those things, basically, if, if, if I can advance technology, then that, that's like magic and that would be really cool. Um, and the the I was at sort of a slight existential crisis because I was trying to figure out what, what does it all mean, like what's the purpose of things. And um, I came to the conclusion that if if we can advance the the, the the knowledge of the world, if we can do things that expand the scope and, and and scale of consciousness, then we're better able to ask the right questions and become more enlightened. And and that's really the only way forward. So. Uh, so, so I, I, I studied uh, physics and business because I figured, in order to do a lot of these things, you, you need to know how the universe works, and you need to know how how, how the economy works, um, and you also need to be able to bring a lot of people together to work with you to create something. Because it's very difficult to do something as as an individual if it's if it's a significant technology. So I. Uh, I originally came out to, to California to uh, try to figure out how to improve the energy density of of, um, uh, of electric vehicles, basically to, to try to figure out if there was an advanced capacitor that, that, that could serve as an alternative to batteries, and um, that was in 95, and uh, that's also when the internet uh, started to happen, and, and it, I, I, I thought, well, I can either... Uh, pursue this, tech, this technology where success may, be, may not be one of the possible outcomes, which is always tricky, um, or uh, participate in the internet and, and be, be part of it. So I decided to, to drop out. Um, now, fortunately, we're, we're, we're past graduation, so I can't be accused of recommending that to you. Um, and um, so so did some internet stuff, um, <laughs> you know, did a few things here and there. Um, one of which was PayPal. Um, and I think maybe it's helpful to say one of the things that was important then in the creation of PayPal was uh, was kind of how it started. Because initially, the initial I thought was with PayPal was to create an agglomeration of financial services, so to have one place where. All of your financial services needs would be seamlessly integrated and, um, and and work smoothly. And then we had like a little feature which was to do email payments. Um, and whenever we'd show the, show the system off to someone, uh, we'd show the hard part which was the, um, the agglomeration of financial services which was quite difficult to put together, nobody was interested. Um, then we'd show people email payments which was actually quite easy and everybody was interested. Um, so, uh, this is. Uh, I think it's important to, to, to take feedback from your environment, um, you, know, it, you, you want to be as closed loop as possible, um, and uh, it's, so we focus on email payments and really try to make that work, and, and that's what really got things to take off, um, but, but if, we hadn't, if we hadn't responded to what people said then we, we, we probably would not have been successful. So it, it's important to look for things like that. And, and focus on them when, when, you, when you see them and you correct uh, your, your prior assumptions. And then, um, the, going from PayPal, I thought, well, what, what are some of the, the, the other problems that uh, are likely to most affect the, the future of humanity? Um, it really wasn't from the perspective of what's the rank ordered best way to to make money, um, which which is which is okay, but um, it, it was really what I think is going to most affect the future of humanity. So the I think the, the, the biggest terrestrial problem we've got is uh, sustainable energy, but the production and consumption of energy in a sustainable manner. If we don't solve that, this the century is the century we're we're in deep trouble. Um, and then the, the other one being the extension of life beyond Earth to make life multiplanetary. Um, so uh, that's 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 the basis for the, the latter is the basis for for SpaceX, and the former is the basis for Tesla and, and Solar City. Um, and, and when I started SpaceX, um, I, it, it actually initially I thought that well, there's there's no way one could possibly start a rocket company. I, I wasn't that crazy. Um, but but then uh, it, I thought, well, what is a way to um, increase NASA's budget? That was actually my initial goal. So I I thought, well, if we can do a low cost mission to Mars, something called Mars Oasis, which would land seeds with uh, with dehydrate with, with seeds and dehydrated nutrient gel, and you hydrate them upon landing, and then you have this great sort of money shot of green plants on a red background, and the. You know, the, the, the public tends to respond to um, uh, precedents and superlatives, and this would be the first life on Mars, the furthest that life's ever travelled, as far as we know. And, and I thought, well, that that would get people really excited, and and uh, and therefore increase NASA's budget. So, so obviously, the, the financial outcome from such a mission would probably be zero. Um, so, anything better than that was on the upside. Um, so I actually went to I went to Russia three times to to look at buying um, a refurbished ICBM uh, because th- that that was the best deal um, and uh, I can tell you it was very weird going there in in 2000 late 2001 2002 going to the Russian rocket forces and saying I'd like to buy two of your biggest rockets uh, but you can keep the nuke. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a lot more um, and uh, was, that was 10 years ago i guess so um, they, 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 they 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 thought i was crazy but but i did have money so that was that was okay uh, um, and uh, after making several trips to to russia i, I came to the conclusion that that actually uh, uh, my, my initial impression was was wrong about Uh, Because my initial thought was, well, that that there's not enough will to explore and expand beyond Earth and have a Mars base and that kind of thing, but I came to conclusion that 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 was wrong. Um, In fact, there's plenty of will, particularly in the United States, uh, because the United States is a nation of explorers, of people who came here from from other parts of the world. I think the United States is really a distillation of the the spirit of human exploration. So. but, but if people think it's impossible, then, uh, or it's going to completely break the federal budget, then they're not going to do it. So after my third trip, I said, OK, well, what we really need to do here is try to solve the, the space transport problem and, uh, and started SpaceX. Um, and uh, this, this was against the advice of pretty much everyone I talked to. Um, one friend made me sit down and watch a bunch of videos of rockets blowing up. <laughs> Um, let me tell you, he wasn't far wrong. <laughs> uh, th- 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 it, was, it was tough going there in the beginning uh, because I'd never built anything physical. I mean, I'd built like little model rockets as a kid and that kind of thing, but um, I would never had a company that built anything physical. So I had to figure out how to, how to do all these things and, and bring together the right team of people. And, um, and, and so we did all that and, and then failed three times. Um, it, it, it was tough, tough going. Because um, the thing about a rocket is that the, the passing grade is 100%. Uh, and uh, y- you don't get to actually test the rocket in the real environment that it's going to be in. So I think so the best analogy for, for rocket engineering is like if you want to create a really com- complicated bit of software um, you, c- you can't run the software as an integrated whole and you can't run it on the computer it's intended to run on but the first time you put it all together and run it on that computer it must run with no bugs that's that's basically the essence of it um, so so we, we missed the mark there um, that the first launch I was picking up bits of rocket near the near the launch site was that um, and uh, we put, we 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 learned with with each successive flight, and uh, and we able to with uh, eventually with the fourth flight in 2008 uh, reach orbit, um, and that was also with the last bit of money that we had. So um, thank thank goodness uh, that that happened. Um, it, I think the saying is fourth times the charm." Um, so that's so we we got the Falcon 1 to orbit, and then. Uh, began to scale that up to to the Falcon 9, which is uh, about an order of magnitude more thrust. It's uh, around a million pounds of thrust. And we managed to get that to orbit and then uh, developed Dragon Spacecraft, uh, which um, recently was able to dock and return to Earth from the space station. Um, That was... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was a white-knuckled event. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge relief. still can't quite believe it actually happened. Um, but, but there's a lot more that, ha- that, that, that must happen beyond this in order for humanity to, be, to become a space-faring civilization and ultimately um, a multi-planet species. Um, and that's something I think it's, it's, it's vitally important and, and I hope um, that that some of you will, will participate in, in that either at SpaceX or, or at other companies because it's just really one of the, the, the most important things for the preservation and extension of consciousness um, I mean it's worth noting as I'm sure people are aware that the earth has been around for four billion years and uh, civilization at least in terms of having um, Writing has been around for ten thousand years, and that's being generous. Um, so uh, it's it's really uh, it's somewhat of a tenuous existence that that uh, um, civilization and and consciousness as, as we know it has, has been on Earth. And I think um, I, I'm actually I'm actually fairly optimistic about the future of Earth. So I don't want to I don't want to sort of people to have the wrong impression that I think we're all about to die. Um, I, I think I think we'll I think things will most likely be okay for a lo- for a long time on Earth, but not not for sure. But most likely, um, <laughs> um, but but even if it's if it's sort of 99% likely, one, a one percent chance is still it's still worth uh, spending a fair bit of effort to ensure that we have um, we've backed up the biosphere of you know, planetary redundancy, if you will, um, and, uh, and so I think I think it's really really quite important. Um, And in order to do that, there's a breakthrough that needs to occur, which is to create a a rapidly and completely reusable um, transport system to Mars, Um, which which is one of those things that's right on the borderline of of, of impossible. Um, But that's sort of the the thing that we're going to try to achieve there with with, with SpaceX. and then, uh, on, the, on, the, on the Tesla front, uh, the, the goal with Tesla was really to try to show that w- what electric cars can do, because people had the wrong impression, we had to um, change people's perception of an electric vehicle, because they used to think of it as something that was slow and ugly and had low range, kind of like a golf cart. Um, and and we, So that's why we created the Tesla Roadster to show that you can be fast, um, attractive and, and long range. Um, and it's amazing how um, even though you can show that something works on paper uh, you know, and the calculations are very clear, until you actually have the physical object and they can, they can drive it, it doesn't really sink in for people. Um, and so that, that I think is, is something worth noting. If, if you're going to create a company, the first thing you should try to do is create a working prototype. Um, you know, everything everything looks great on PowerPoint. <laughs> you, can, you can make anything work on PowerPoint. Um, but if you have a, if you have an actual demonstration article, even if it's in primitive form, that's much much more effective for convincing people. So, um, so we we made the Tesla Roadster, and now we're coming out soon with the Model S, which is a, a four door sedan. Uh, because after we made the Tesla Roadster, people said, "Oh, sure, sure. We we always knew you could make a car like that. It's an expensive car, uh, and it's low volume and it's small and all that. But you can make a real car. Uh, like, Okay, fine. we have going to make that too. Um, so that that's coming out soon. Um, and um, yeah, so that that's that, that's that's the I think the the, the 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 where things are, and 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 hopefully that there, there are some lessons to be to be drawn there. Um, but um, I, I think the, the, the overarching point I, I want to make is that um, you, know, you, you guys are the, the magicians of the 21st century you know, um, don't let like, anything hold you back uh, imagination is, is the limit um, and um, go out there and create some magic thank you
0: on just to make sure nothing goes weird on the uh on the recording (laughs) and the other ear opened to to actually have a conversation so
2: <laughs> fair enough dude. i mean it is at the moment it's like 30 degrees over here so i'm I'm like i'm wearing my headphones and it is so hot it's wow ridiculous. yeah
0: that's great 30 celsius that's like it's <laughs> hot that, i mean yeah
2: it is especially when you're from the north of the uk and uh, yeah that it's too hot for us
0: <laughs> you know here here in, uh, in los angeles we typically if the if the weather gets anything far out of the 70s we're, we're gonna complain about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah good stuff man. Well tell me about yourself.
2: Yes yeah, so um yeah I was born and raised um just outside a town called Crew. Um not sure if you would have heard of it over there in LA. Um so it was just just south of Manchester. Mm-hmm. Well I went down to university. It went down to Southampton for about 2 years and then just yeah did in the north of the UK we have we have the hills and we have nature and I just missed it a lot so yeah basically I I came back up um started chilling back up in in the hills near the peak district and yeah nice. pretty much been here ever since amazing and so when did you start with music initially the the actual first stages uh would have been in high school i was about 15 at the time mm-hmm. um so yeah we had uh, we were pretty lucky to be fair we had a, a music tech course as at the time I'd, I'd always been interested in electronic music dance music and um, so i thought yeah great opportunity um I'm, I'm gonna test this out and that's when um yeah just started I'd using Fruity Loops, Amazing. Um, smashing away grime beats, and um, you know a couple of good friends who, who I'm still good friends with these days. We, we just used to meet up, make tunes and um, yeah just have fun with it and, and enjoy the whole process from start to finish so
0: you started with your your DAW that was kind of your first uh, experience with music then was was actually on the production side not necessarily uh, as an instrumentalist yes
2: I um, mean in fact yeah now now the mind opens up a little bit I did take guitar lessons What? Well, how old was I then I was probably about 12, 13 at the mm-hmm. time, but I, I was one of those annoying students where, you know, the te- I, I'd get in and the teacher was like, right, okay, do you want to learn scales? Do you want to <laughs> learn theory? And I was like, no, teach me how to play this song. Yeah. And then it just became, <laughs> yeah, it was like, I came round, he taught me how to play this song. I left. I'm like, yeah. Um, so unfortunately, I, I didn't sort of have that, that narrative going down. Um, so it, it was mainly from a pr- production perspective.
0: That's really cool. And, and, you know, I think it really shows up in your in your work because it's it's very very textural to me that comes from having that mindset as a producer.
2: Yeah, no, for sure, man. For sure. Yeah, I think as well, especially coming from um, more of an electronic scene. So that sort of like organic sound, it was just, again, really textured, uh, really weighty, and it just had something about it that that brought the music to life um, as opposed to just listening to elements being layered you were you were sort of you know you were brought into you were immersed in this just sort of different world that was just it'd take your whole mind away and yeah so that was sort of from the get-go I'd you know I'd hear hear certain artists and and I'd be thinking yeah I want to make sounds like that or I want to make music like that
0: it's interesting for me too, as I'm getting to connect with and chat with lo-fi artists, it's interesting to hear kind of the, the music that they came from before lo-fi. So what got you into lo-fi? Yes.
2: I had always been into hip hop. Um, so, I mean, from very early days, again, like early time in high school, talking about 13, 14, um, I loved like Wu-Tang Clan, um, just many, many more, oh, like the, you know, 90s, Boom Bap, Farside, uh, Tribe, it just the list is endless, Black Sheep, it just goes on and on and on. And I, I think to be fair um it was actually a good friend of mine uh scott or catch 92 who showed me an artist um this must have been about six years ago now and he showed me i think it was manny he just showed me it was just beats on his page and it was like the rawest flips mm-hmm. and it had everything for me It had everything that i, I you know I, I loved in dubstep everything i loved in the electronic music hip-hop but at the same time there was just this sort of ah it was the imperfections mm-hmm. that really sold it to me. It was just those moments of like, is this meant to happen? Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, but you just go with it. And yeah, it just takes you on a journey again.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. You know, that's uh, the imperfections. That's something that dating back to, you know, the roots with the boom bap stuff, you know, all of your, your J Dilla style drums where it's just the kick is kind of all over the place, but, but at least the snares that, yeah. on time. So it kind of, you have a groove there and it feels human. But I, I really love that about your productions as well. It's it's um, there, oh, there's so you. much detail there. Tell me about so you said before you started in FL, is that right? So you still do you still use FL as your main DAW?
2: I don't. To be fair, yeah. So first started out in FL. Um, I was I was on FL. I'd say probably my duration of, of the rest of high school. So it was a two year course. We you know we used FL in in school there. Um, I'm not actually. Sure. I don't think. I think I was working at the demo. I had my own laptop at the Mm -hmm. time that, like, you know, it it sounded loud with that fan, and Mm -hmm. I had the demo and trying to make, you know, just make one track in a quick session on on the demo version, record it out. Um, But soon after that, when I went to college, um, we started using Logic in the lessons there for music technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, from then on, it is pretty much just been, uh, started out in Logic 9, and then these days it is Logic X.
0: You know, it's, uh, I, I have been, so, so my, myself, I've been kind of all over the place with Dawes, you know, I, I when yeah. I was uh, starting out, it was on Cubase, and then I went to college and learned Pro Tools, and then after that, Logic, and, and after that, Ableton, Yeah. and for the last couple of years, I've been really heavy in Ableton, but um, this new Logic update um, is, is, incredible. It actually Im- implements a lot of the best parts of Ableton into Logic. And so you can actually bring uh, just like a one-shot sample, literally drag it in. It will find the tune, find the pitch, lay it out on your keyboard and in- into a sampler, tons of control. So yeah, I've been, uh, I- I've just been obsessed with that lately. And uh, I-, I used to have a push right here on my desk because I was in Ableton and, and now it's like sitting over there on the floor a little bit and uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm fully into the new logic. But uh, but yeah, man, that's great. So what, um, you know, in terms of uh, what's kind of like your go-to set of tools, especially for a lot of your noise because you do a, a really cool thing where I, I think what you're doing is you're side-chaining you're putting everything in instruments with the noise and then you're side chaining that with, with the drums um, so that the noise kind of ducks as well.
2: I mean, it's, it's something that I would love a lot of mysteries to be around Mm -hmm. and how does he get that? And it's such a simple, it's just the 404 compressor. Wow. Like, um, (laughs) yeah, just Roland's 404 compressor. It's, it's a beast that you have to tame. So when, I mean, I got my 404 about, about four years ago, five years ago now. Mm -hmm. And at first i mean i heard all these amazing again similar styles of textures and you know in the lo-fi scene and i was like i want to make that and i i got pretty close when i was messing around in my 404 you know i would Mm -hmm. would just i'd make a beat and then I'd, i'd put the compressor on it and i'm like it's almost there of where i want it but it You know whether it be I don't know. There's some frequencies in the snare that uh, mainly the snare that just sound horrible. They sound Mm -hmm. just uh, not rigid, but just yeah, they they don't hit well. Mm -hmm. And so basically, I slowly went into the process of. Um, with some tracks it depends on what the overall vibe I want to get but for example if you look at I don't know like Peninsula mm-hmm. that came out on uh, Avery Bridge um, Spring Nights compilation that's like a perfect example where I've made that whole song with the 404 compressor turned on the whole time wow um, so yeah from start to finish it's it's not the nicest because you will constantly hear hiss and the hum and the noise but once you get used to the process you have to sort of work around it and essentially your high frequencies you don't need a lot of them yeah because it will pick them up and it will really exemplify them so uh exaggerate even and so yeah it would just be play around with a 404 compressor and if it, you're not getting a result that you you know you're happy with or you're not getting the amount of side chain that you like then go back rework it um the kick drum needs to be the highest thing that's it everything else is you know about 50 70 percent lower than everything mm-hmm. else uh, or lower than the kick, should I say? And so, yeah, it's just compression. I feel is is one of those tools that I always used to be scared of, um, and now I'm just sort of going in headfirst. And yeah, like I say, making it with the compressor on. I mean, if I told that to some people who taught me music production and this, that, <laughs> and the other, they'd just be like, "You're crazy! Don't ever do yeah. that." But um, I have fun either way. So yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You know, sometimes that's like the best it, when you're when you just do something that like you know you're not supposed to do, but then it just turns out amazing. It's like, wow, I should have been doing this forever.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The One thing that I found the hardest thing with it is um, dynamics. So it is possible to get a really nice range of dynamics, even with the compressor Mm -hmm. on, but it is also very easy to to go too far down that rabbit hole and you end up with this finished track that you love and it's pumping, but then you're just thinking, there are no dynamics in here. This doesn't have a quiet part. It's just full force. So... Yeah, keeping that in mind, and yeah, experimentation, of course.
0: So, yeah, that's so interesting. So, what's your, you know, is your is your workflow basically um, to do everything in the 404? Like, do you basically, uh, I, I, I can't remember. Is there a multi-track? There's multi-track in the 404, right?
2: Um, it's a bit, yeah. So you've got your pattern sequencer, um, in which you can obviously record a, a variety of different patterns mm-hmm. and then link them and chain them up. Um, I have, I, I did do that up until I'd say about about a year mm-hmm. ago. Um, a lot of stuff was in the 404. When I first got it, obviously, I was obsessed. So I and I didn't touch Logic for about a year. I was just like, I don't need a door. This is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, well, so now it's... My process now, basically, having got um, an OP1, which has just been, like, the best bit of debt I've ever got myself mm-hmm. into. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, that's all I can describe it as. Um, and so my process now is I've got my OP1 for um essentially synthesis creation just sample cutting and chops i just find the workflow just you know massively sped up compared to working on the 404 mm-hmm. um, so yeah i'll do a lot of stuff on that um i will then track everything out into logic and layer everything within logic uh, and then nowadays i'm pretty ashamed to say my 404 is pretty much just like outboard gear so it just sits here mm-hmm. on my monitor just for when i need that compression or maybe a little bit of um a little bit of effects playing around you know isolating etc um so yeah, I mean, sometimes I look at it and like I, I need to get back into that mm-hmm. four hundred four. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, with the OP one, that's just I don't think it's happening anytime yeah. soon. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's so cool, actually. That you know, the OP one, that's a piece I've been uh, eyeing up for quite a while, and I haven't pulled the trigger yet. But I think you might inspire me to do it. it sounds uh, It yeah. sounds like a fun one, and I know a couple of buddies of mine have uh, have them, and they they swear by them. the The intersection of hardware and software here. How much are you actually doing in the DAW versus um, you know? Do you do a lot of a lot of mixing or is it pretty much all hardware and then and, and using that to kind of get your sounds
2: yeah so it's um it's a balance and it usually it's hard to pinpoint because yeah i will I'll start making track in one way and it can so easily just digress and end up in in, in a completely different way mm-hmm. that i intended but generally it's I, um, let's say we're working with the OP1, this would just go straight into Logic, everything would be layered up, and then from then I would probably spend a good day or two on each track, just, I don't know, maybe it, if I'm not quite happy with it, you know, I'll do a lot of mixing anyway, a lot, a lot of, most of my time that I spend is just mixing and getting levels right, working with EQs, um, I don't really do much modulation or, or, or that many creative types of I say processes in in logic anymore mm-hmm. Um i just find that it's just too ki- time consuming if anything yeah um so yeah i'd basically i'd probably say about 50 50 wow. because it can just swing one way or the other completely depending on the track what's the last thing that
0: you uh the last major tip or breakthrough you had that really uh opened things up for you
2: um, so I don't have to think about that one for a second. One that I can say just off the top of my head would be, um, A equals 440. So it, for anyone who doesn't know, um, it, it's just a way that I found to make certain pads, um, and certain sounds from anything, uh, you could literally just record outside of your window with a little bit of Foley. And I learned this technique of where, or oh, basically, um, the key of A is around 440, hertz and so essentially you would record anything you'd put that audio into i'd I'd use logic myself and then i would get an eq and i would spike up 440 so i you know i'd do a bell up 440 hertz i'd probably get another two eqs doing the exact same thing just to really boost this one frequency and still having all the textures around that sound that you've got to you know to be used and import that into exs and then you just have a completely playable sample that you recorded from absolutely nothing.
0: Wow, that is so cool! So you're you're boosting the fundamental. Yeah. Have you ever played around with boosting harmonics of that fundamental? Do
2: you know what? I, I actually haven't. I haven't used this technique in uh, I'd say a couple months mm-hmm. now. But I have been meaning to expand on it. But I can imagine that would get some really nice overtones going. Yeah.
0: On. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That's uh, I, I've never thought of that. Uh, you know, taking that kind of approach where you're just just crazy boosting with an EQ. Uh, the fundamental um, and then and then using that in a sampler that's uh, I'm gonna try that out later that's uh, that's a really cool, uh, Definitely really cool <laughs> thing that, yeah. you know you're prolific with your with your releases especially um, your your singles this year I, I think uh, I didn't actually do a full count but um, it looks like you're releasing uh, very frequently here every few weeks maybe is that right
2: yes yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much so um yeah I've had a uh, I'd, I I had this Period of time uh, at the end of last year where I was so motivated, or I just felt so creative, I ended up spending hours and hours and hours each day just, you know, producing, mixing down, uh, just on the creation stage. And I just ended up with this huge backlog of beats, just so many beats. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, And so it just. The process of reaching out to you know different people, whether it be at uh, Avery Bridge um, or any, any other labels, it's just like I've got this for you, I've got this for you, I've got this, um, and so yeah, that that process was quite smooth having having had that backlog. Um, but I think it, it's hard to keep up with mm-hmm. having so many releases, and it's one thing that you know, and for example, the rest of this year, I mean. I have a few big projects coming up, and I I don't want to jeopardise them just by you know oversaturating the market. I want to focus on quality, so um, it's a good you know I've enjoyed putting out loads and loads of music. Definitely, Um, it's been a great process, but I think it's sort of I'm I'm trying to find my feet a little. Well, I am finding my feet a little bit more now, and it's just finding where to ground them and where to sort of say okay, um, I'm not going to release as much, but you can expect it's going to be quality when it is.
0: That's awesome. Do you follow, uh, or or do you have any favorite playlists uh, that you listen to? As, as
2: uh... yeah. So there's, I mean, there's definitely a fair few. Um, I mean, there's so many to shout out. To be (laughs) fair, (laughs) this is where this becomes Um, one that has. uh, I must admit that has always sticks out into my mind. um, Would be Tsunami Circle um and so it would be the stormy sundays playlist i think uh, damon the guy who runs that he he's, he's always just put so much care and effort into the music he selects um that it's always just a joy to listen to because you know that he's he sort of put his head down and he's listened to each track and and really thought about why that would fit the playlist as opposed to just oh it's lo-fi it fits mm-hmm.
0: yeah i love that when curators uh, you know they they you can tell that you know, even in like the transitions, it, uh, it, you can tell like, wow, this song really did fit after that last song. And, and I'm excited to hear what comes next. It's not just a random, you know, block of, of songs. So that's, that's cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. Tsunami Circle. And then the actual playlist, I believe, is called Stormy Sundays.
0: Is there anything else on, on your side that you wanted to shout out?
2: Yeah. For sure, man. Um, so, I mean, I, I suppose the biggest, um, the biggest, pinnacle in my career so far is is going to be soon upcoming um so in throughout august i'm i'm not sure on the exact release date yet but between august and september um fathomless will have a new album out that i am seriously seriously excited for um i don't want to give too much away at the moment but all i can say is i'm pretty sure there's going to be a vinyl involved there
0: amazing um
2: so yeah i mean it's surreal for me i remember this time this time last year it would be this time last year that I was like you know what my goal right now is just to get a a vinyl record out and that Mm -hmm. that was all that was in my sights and then I smashed that um, by the end of last year and then to have my second one now it's just yeah it's surreal but um, yeah so a massive thank you to um, Leon and Doug from Avery Bridge Records uh, because they have helped me so much to you know, get this in the process, make sure you know I'm happy with everything and they're happy with everything. and it's I just cannot wait to get it out there.
0: That's so exciting. i uh, I can't wait to see that come up because I'm gonna pick one up for myself.
2: Yeah, and also lastly, um a massive shout out to um, my best friend Scott catch ninety two um who you know everyone should check it out if they've not already. um he's running a platform called bacon baps and essentially it's just uh, like a bi-weekly um sort of podcast mix of which every, every week we'll get you know people to submit into their beats whether it's boom bap lo-fi chill hop uh future beats uh, there's always going to be room for it. and he's, you know he's been doing such a great job staying consistent and you know staying active in the scene and you yeah, know fingers crossed I'm 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 hoping that that takes off soon for him
0: good stuff well tom thank you so much for your time
2: here for chatting and and being a part of this awesome i know it's been my pleasure honestly like thank you so much for reaching out and um yeah i look forward to hearing the rest of the podcast that you uh, you know you come out with it's going to be sick
0: amazing thank you so much man such a pleasure to speak with such a talented lo-fi producer be sure to check him out on spotify apple music wherever you listen to music i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the thought leaders but lo-fi podcast if you did Please share this podcast. Leave a review; it would really help us out and be much appreciated. I'm going to play you out on one of Fathomless's recent releases called "La Sonde."